Hey everyone, Dr. Richard Marn here. So this is part two, a continuation of a guest interview with Dr. Nathan Inoki, a hand surgeon. He talks about how he wasn't a very good student, at least in his opinion. And he then became a paramedic and got a master's degree. He got into medical school, joined the Navy, was with the Navy for about 10 years, and then became a hand surgeon. So he's going to talk about that in this episode. Uh, basically, his origin story and also a bunch of other musings. I split it up like this into two different episodes for his interview because there was so much content I didn't want to lose it, but also I didn't want it to be stuffed into one big episode. So uh, if you want to go back to that initial episode, it talks about what it's like to be a hand surgeon, what it's like for him to help people from a hand perspective. And it's just a great perspective, great guy, and gives you a good, good sense of who he is. And also, if you just want to listen to my cool introduction and my, my intro music, you can find it there. Otherwise, let's just dive right into it. You, um, you did mention in the past that you were a EMT. And I'd like to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about that. When you were younger... <laughs> Did you have in mind that you want to go and be a hand surgeon or even a surgeon when you're in school, high school? <laughs> no, uh, that's an easy one. No, <laughs> I was uh, I was actually not a very good student. Uh, I think in in retrospect, looking back at what I did, you know, I I think I did you were okay. Not a student. No, I, I think I did okay in 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 the intermediate school years and in high school I did okay. But you know, I I think uh, it, looking back, I, I I really didn't know how to study. You know, I didn't know it didn't dawn on me that it was important to read a book, study it, and then be able to understand it enough to take a test or to apply it. it I I I wasn't a very good student at all. Um, it it wasn't until in in fact uh, when. When I went to college, I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, the When I went to college, I knew that I was going to study English because in high school, I was always a good writer. So it was just a, a knee-jerk reaction to say, okay, well, I'm going to study English because I'm a good writer and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but that's what I'm going to do. But it, it wasn't until uh, um, I kind of fortuitously um, – met up with uh, uh, an emergency room doctor, actually, when I was in my first and second year uh, in college, where uh, I thought, wow, his job is actually really interesting, you know, and uh, uh, that's when I started looking into doing it. But I'd never will, really went into it with a, a commitment that I was going to go to medical school. That wasn't really the intent. The, the thought was, well, maybe I could think about doing medical school, but I don't know if that's really what I, the, the direction I want to go. And plus I'm, I'm a, I'm an English major. So what do you, <laughs> what do you do? You know, um, yeah. uh, but uh, just, just to let you know that you don't necessarily need to be a, a biology, chemistry, physics uh, major in college to go to medical school. I have a, a friend of mine who was, a, has a bachelor of fine arts uh, and uh went to medical school and is a very successful family practice doctor right now. So um, uh, that, that's just an aside, but that's where I started uh, uh, as really not being a very good student. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, uh, what, what, 
apparently you got obviously into medical school. So what you had to be a better student over time. So what made you become a better student? You think? Yeah, I think uh, for for me, I think it was more of an identification of what it is that I liked doing. So, um, I, and I think that's important with any career choice. You know, be it in healthcare, in medicine, or or engineering, or whatever. It, it I think, I, I really think and believe that uh, people need to choose the career that they're uh, that they know that they really would be happy in. Uh, you need to you need to choose the people you want to hang out with is what uh, they co- they commonly say in orthopedic surgery. But uh, um, you know when I when I started working uh, uh, with this doctor I fortuitously met up with in college uh, in the emergency room, I started volunteering in the emergency room, and man, I thought that th- this is the most intense setting I've ever been in. It was absolutely crazy. There are patients. Uh, uh, there are patients in the halls. There are patients uh, in hallway beds. There, are, you know, and uh, but I, but it was so challenging in there. And the challenging thing was to see all of these patients that were there, uh, who had, who were very sick, and who I could even just sit, sit there and and chat with, or help, or push them around on the gurney, you know. And I, I just found that incredibly rewarding. And so it. At that point, uh, it was that point where, you know, I think someone decides uh, why they want to do something or why they want to go into a specialty. And that that's the reason. It's something that that profession uh, captures you with. And for me, it was the patients, meeting the patients, talking to them, being able to help them when they needed that help. Uh, and that that was uh, that was uh, the draw to healthcare for me. I still hadn't didn't think that I was going to be, be someone that went to medical school. Mm. Uh, but I did know that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and you know, my path took me, you know, as I worked more as a volunteer in the emergency room, uh, I was there. This is in college. I was a second year in college and, you know, I was volunteering there so often in the emergency room that the chief of the emergency department said, you know, this is, uh, he's, he basically took me aside and said, you spend so much time here, I need to give you a job. So he basically gave me a job and I became an emergency department. Well, first I was a, what my title was, was emergency department hospital assistant, where he actually, uh, very nice of him, but he actually gave me a job that I could get a paycheck from. And, uh, where is and this then, at? Uh, where, is it, where are we this, talking about here? Now, this was in, in uh, Honolulu. Okay. Uh, where I'm where I'm from, and uh, this was at uh, Kaiser Permanente, which uh, at the time was Kaiser Permanente Moanalua. It was a fairly new hospital, and uh, I was in the emergency department there. And you would actually and, uh, go out of your way and you volunteered in the ER department. You just kind of walked in and said, "I'd like to volunteer here." Yeah, they they have uh, procedures that you have to go through in order to volunteer there. But yes, uh, with with the uh, assistance of the doctor that I met who worked there, uh, got me involved in there and. Uh, Getting started there was very challenging. The nurses didn't know what to do with me. It's like what, what, one of one of the toughest nurses that I've ever worked with just came up to me on the first day and says, "Okay, so what is it exactly that you do?" And I told him, "I don't know." <laughs> but I I told him, "I don't know what I do. Uh, I'm not able to do anything, but I I'm I'm happy to help." And so they just kept giving me tasks and jobs and. Before, after a while, I started learning the the ER tech's job, and so uh, I became a hospital assistant, uh, 
uh, and then about a year later, they promoted me to an ER tech. And uh, that's when I had my own patients. I was taking care of the patients with minor traumatic injuries, uh, helping with laceration repairs, uh, helping uh, set fractures, put on splints, put on casts, uh, bandage wounds, and uh, do EKGs and uh, do CPR in the ER. Yeah. Really? As so a that, student? That, yeah, as a college student. So that's how that's how I started in there. And and then my interest then grew. I then I started saying, what are those guys on the ambulance doing? Yeah. You know, I started making friends with those guys and said, well, I want to hop on with you guys and see what you guys do. when you go to someone's house uh, where you take care of patients on the street or uh, on, on the side of the road or in their home or in their apartment. And then uh, so that prompted me to go to uh uh, EMT, Emergency Medical Technician School. At, at the time, it was called EMT Basic was the first level. I, yep. I think it's still called that now. And then uh, uh, I, I enjoyed doing that so much that I eventually left the ER job and I started working on the ambulance. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I did that uh, and then uh, took the next step after a couple of years to do EMT paramedic training, which is a lot longer and a lot more intensive, uh, where you learn to, to manage medication, start IVs, uh, intubate, uh, defibrillate, you know, read EKGs and those sorts of things and really be more of a team leader out uh, in what they call pre-hospital medicine, where you're taking care of patients uh, out on the streets and in their homes. And uh, I, I really love that. But um you know, it's interesting because the the further along I progressed in healthcare and the more I learned about what I could do in healthcare, the more I realized that there are things that I could not do. And I, I think in retrospect, uh that 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 is that is definitely a truth. You know, the more my what I always say is the more you learn and the more you know, the more you realize that you really don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And so when I was a paramedic and when I started really getting good at that, I realized that there was a, there was an end to what I could do for that patient. I couldn't do anymore. That was it. That's all my, that's all I could carry in my truck, you know, and uh, that, that was the key, I think, to say, look, if you really want to do more for these patients, you got to go to medical school. Mm. And that was it. So and that was so, a moment uh, for you. There was, was there a moment in time where you said, wait a second, I need to get to the next level or it just kind of slowly dawned on you. I think it, I think it, I think it, it, it was something that was always in the back of my mind. You know, I, I, I had emergency room doctors that would always tell me, you know, why are you, why don't you just go to medical school? You know, but I never really, I don't know, maybe it was a lack of commitment, lack of, I don't know what it was, laziness, perhaps. I don't know. But uh, you, you get to a point where you realize that, yeah, now's the time I need to do this. Uh, I, I can't do any more than what uh, I'm currently doing unless I do more uh, training so I get more schooling. And uh, and that was that was, uh, I think, the moment. And fortunately, I, I got into medical school at that time and uh and uh, and moved on from there. You know, um, having gone to med- medical school together, uh, I know hand surgery was not on your mind. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, I, you were very interested and were committed to going to emergency medicine. That's right. Um, how did that? How did that turn out? I mean, how did that even come about? You actually matched and get went to an ER residency, correct? 
No, I, I did not actually. So I changed my mind. And uh, at risk of uh, upsetting all of my emergency uh, medicine colleagues, I'm going to still say this. Uh, when when you um, as you go through medical school, you know, again, you know, my my rationale for going to medical school is to try to do more and more and more for my patients. And uh, uh, my only exposure really to healthcare was in the emergency room at that point. Right. And so it was a natural progression for me to say, yeah, I can I'd like to do what Dr. So and so does in the ER and, and be be like him or be like her, you know. But uh, when you start doing going through medical school, you, you start realizing. When you go to medical school, you realize that there are so many facets of healthcare and facets of medicine that you don't, that you never knew existed before. And what really turned me on at that point was to be able to fix as many things as I could possibly fix. And it was at that point in medical school, I said, you know, the one, the guys that fix a lot of things are the surgeons. Mm Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I actually left medical school uh, planning on doing a general surgery uh, residency with the thought of uh, branching out into some sur- general surgical subspecialty at some point. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, uh, as Richard knows, as you know, I, yeah. I uh, paid for medical school with a Navy scholarship, which uh, throws in a whole uh, different uh, um, uh, set of commitments that takes time. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, allows me allowed me some uh, time to think about what I was doing and what I really wanted to do. Um, now, hand surgery came much much later. Um, when I was a surgical intern, one of the most exciting, uh, which is a first year, intern, which is by the way just a first year after medical school, right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So here you I are, did, your first uh, year after after medical first school. First year. That's right. First year after medical school surgery internship, uh, one of my favorite rotations was orthopedic surgery. I thought fixing bones, uh, fixing hips, um, repairing fractures with all kinds of hand tools. (laughs) I thought that was just incredibly uh, neat, not to mention the fact that it still satisfied my mission and that orthopedic surgery is, uh, is basically trauma surgery there, you know, extremity trauma is very common and that's what mm. what I was a part of and that's what uh, I I enjoyed doing and fixing uh, managing when I was a paramedic and seeing uh, fixed as a as a surgical intern and so um, in the Navy they uh, you after your general surgery internship year you typically will spend one to three years or so uh, as a general medical officer uh, with a, a, a Navy unit of some sort. And uh, that gave me time to think about whether or not I wanted to do general surgery or whether or not I wanted to do orthopedic surgery. And I chose orthopedic surgery. Hand surgery came later. Uh, I, it, when I was an orthopedic surgery resident, uh, I came across this very fascinating individual. Uh, his name is Dr. Joseph Shepard, who uh, was my mentor in hand surgery. He was an orthopedic mm-hmm. hand surgeon. And I just uh, uh, really got was drawn to the kinds of things he did in surgery, the kinds of uh, patients he took care of with hand and wrist problems. And uh, that that's what pushed me uh, toward a hand uh, and wrist fellowship training to uh, do this specialty. I see. But, Nate, you did mention brief- briefly your, your – um your military experience. 
and your time with the military. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience, what your responsibilities were? That's correct. You know, um, technically, if you uh, fin- graduate medical school, pass your board exams, and uh, and complete an intern year uh uh, internship year, you can be licensed to practice medicine. Now, in the United States, you'd find it very hard to practice uh, medicine in 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 a, any in, in a, any civilian practice with just that meager training. There, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to find a job anywhere. But in the military, especially in the in in a military that has a lot of operational or uh, you know. Uh, military type uh, uh, requirements, they need doctors and they'll use you to to the uh, maximum of your ability without pushing you to do things that you're not able to do or not qualified to do. So uh, they they will not make you do something that you're not qualified to do, but they will use you as a doctor because there are a lot of things that they can use you for. Like what the like for example – yeah, they, uh, for example, you know, um, uh, m- many military units require some sort of physician supervision and, and physician input and planning. Uh, when I was a part of uh, my, uh, my unit, uh, I basically ran the squadron's medical department. I was considered the medical department head um, uh, for a, a group or a uh, a squadron of approximately 400 or so Marines. And uh, you have to take care of everything from their their routine coughs, sniffles, and colds to their annual physicals to make sure their immunizations are correct. Uh, you need to give, give them briefings and reports uh, uh, to update them on why they're getting certain immunizations or what kind of health threats they may be encountering when we go to a certain part of the world. Uh, you also are the uh, point of contact and their primary care uh, physician when they need to get referred for more uh, for higher levels of care. Uh, for instance, if uh, I had a if I if I had a Marine with uh, stomach problems, the first person they would see me see the first doctor they would see would be me. And then I would contact uh, the, the appropriate uh, specialist and talk to them about uh, this uh particular marine and and uh coordinate the care from there uh so you become a primary care provider for mm-hmm. that unit uh when you're deployed uh especially if you're deployed in uh in austere environment uh you all bets are off you're uh you're you're you are it you take care of whatever comes and if you for instance uh, you know <laughs> uh, you know, in, in 2003, we, I deployed with my unit to, uh, to Kuwait, and then we uh, uh, were part of the invasion of Iraq. And, you know, I was probably the only doctor within uh, 50 to 100 miles in, in some instances mm-hmm. uh, in, in theater. So uh, to, to the Marines, you're the doctor. Uh, your your subordinates, the people who are working with you are your corpsmen, and they are, they are quote-unquote doc. Uh, to the Marines as well. And you have to be able to not only train your corpsmen, uh, but uh, uh, provide them leadership and uh, provide them the support of a doctor because they are um, essentially most of them are trained at the EMT level, maybe some a little bit uh, more and maybe maybe some a little more junior than that. But uh, you have to train them, keep them, keep their training up and keep them uh, keep them up to speed and what they need to do. During that time, 
what did you what do you what what did you learn that you probably don't would not have learned if you did not engage in that uh, if you were not enlisted yeah yeah i think uh uh, well, well, first of all, I think that uh, the, the the reason the reason that I took the Navy scholarship was that the the Navy provided me a scholarship to help me to pay for medical school. So I think mm-hmm. for folks uh, for folks who uh, were were per, are, who are or uh, will be perhaps in my situation where, you know, you, you shouldn't you can't let uh, finances dictate whether or not you're going to go to medical school or not. If you really, really want to go to medical school, there will be ways to pay for it. You don't have to join the Navy or the Army or the Air Force to do it. There are a lot of uh, opportunities for scholarships and other other uh, programs that can be taken advantage of to help pay for that tuition, uh, including student loans and other and other uh, other systems and uh, plans like that. You know, there's a public health service, for instance, that you can take advantage of that will take care, help to take care of your uh, your medical school tuition. So that's the reason why I did it. Now, um, as far for me, I personally don't think that if I had to do it, if I had to do it all over again, I would have. And the reason for that is that uh, getting that experience, even though it's not residency, it's not uh, formal you know, training, getting that experience uh, as as scary or crazy as some as it as it was sometimes, um, it was just invaluable. I think uh, I got to do a lot of things that I never would have been able to do before. I've seen parts of the world that uh, I, I certainly would have wouldn't have volunteered to go and see. Um, but uh, um, you know, I, I in in the military for me, you make these lifelong friendships. I still have friends in the Marine Corps that I still keep in touch with and they're they're your friends for life, you know. And uh um I would never have met these guys if uh, and girls if I if I didn't do this. Uh I got to do things. I got to ride in back of helicopters. Uh, I got to fly airplanes, uh riding airplanes, riding some fancy ones. Um and and I think the, the most important thing that I got out of that is that, you know, we, we all think that uh, doctors have this really difficult life where we work all the time and we, we're so committed to, to what we do and uh, how we do it. But, you know, folks in the military, it didn't occur to me until I served with these folks. The folks in the military have an incredibly different life, uh, difficult life. They are incredibly committed to their job. They are constantly moving. They're oftentimes never home. Uh, they're, they're, their work is dangerous. You know, and uh, uh, you, you develop an appreciation for what these folks do and how it impacts upon their families when you serve with them. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I got out of that. And, and it's, it is the primary reason why I choose to practice at the VA right now. I feel like I'm taking care of the guys that I served with, and I feel like I'm helping to give them back something that they the, to repay them for the huge sacrifices that they made when they were on active duty service. It it, it helps it helps me in my practice today, and I think uh, they that experience and that interaction with those folks actually helps my practice today because it gives me uh, something a little bit more to work for when I work at the VA. I see my friends in the faces of all of my patients that I take mm. care of right now. Yeah. Well, that's a deep level of commitment there, Nate. 
Really well, I, I think I think they deserve it. You know, I think they deserve it. I wish I could do more. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes one person can't do everything, but uh, um, but it, it does. And I think I think it's important to have a sense of purpose with with whatever job you're doing. It, it has to be something that that draws you there. It's something that it's something that drags you into the hospital in the middle of the night when you don't feel like going in. It, it, it really is. If, if I don't know if you remember Dr. McFeeters, Richard, do you remember the general surgeon, Dr. McFeeters? Yes. He was an avid surfer, uh, University of Hawaii, and one of the most uh, one of the uh, one one of the prominent general surgeons at the University of Hawaii Medical School. And he told me that the day he realized that he wanted to be a general surgeon was the day that he preferred to be in the operating room performing an appendectomy more than being on the on the waves surfing that was his that was what and so it's a deeper level of commitment it's something that i think people uh need to uh need to need to find before they make that commitment to doing a healthcare career they need to find the reason why they're doing this job and it needs to be more than this is a job that'll get me a paycheck it needs to be something more it needs to be something that that keeps you there that holds you there that that uh attracts you to wanting to do this and i think that's the only thing that can keep you motivated to continue doing this this kind of work especially in times like this where there's a coronavirus you know yeah. those folks are in the hospital with an incredible amount of commitment to taking care of people and what keeps them there is their dedication to taking care of people they're not there for a paycheck they'd rather be home being safe you know yeah. So, uh, um, uh, so I think, uh, um, uh, that, that's just my take on it. And, uh, um, I think, I think that's, a, a um, a commitment for healthcare careers that, uh, is, you just, you just can't, uh, write in a book or put in a magazine or an article. It's something that the individual needs to decide for themselves. Nate, if you could go back and do anything differently, in your career path, what would you what would you do? Uh, I probably would have started younger. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend my career path to anyone because uh, as you get older, things get harder to do. Uh, you know, when you're when you're a 35 year old resident, it's very different than if you're a 25 year old resident. Uh, when you're 35, things start to hurt more. <laughs> and uh, and it's harder to, wow. yeah and it's harder to stay up at night you know and it's harder to uh it's harder to uh to do a lot of the things you want to do because things like residency are is physically challenging you, it is exhausting even with our 80 hour work week restrictions uh the work is physically exhausting and so uh, i i always uh, uh i admire my my uh my classmates, for instance, who are in residency, or they, they have a lot of energy and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of enthusiasm for doing what they do. And 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 sometimes when you're older uh, than than when you're coming from an older age, it's harder to keep moving at that pace. And so, yeah. ideally, you want to follow the path that you followed, Richard, and 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 follow that path. In, in, in a straight in a straight through manner because the way we're trained as doctors is it's a long tunnel and uh, once you're in that tunnel you can't really get out of it 
and uh, um, it, and it's very demanding both uh, intellectually and physically, and uh, uh, that can be very challenging when you're coming into it at an older age. It's not to say that it can't be done. I have uh, a brother-in-law who started medical school at age 35. So oh, I didn't know that. Um, you, it can be done. It's it's tough, and you need uh, you need the support of your family and your friends. But uh, it's it certainly is not impossible. So, I think uh, um, for folks in healthcare careers, you know, a couple of things that I I always tell uh, to me- to students or medical students is that don't don't let your finances limit the how high you get in healthcare. You know, we we there are ways to figure out how to pay for school. The second thing is that don't let your age or your background or your uh, educational background uh, influence whether or not you decide to go to medical school. If that's something that you really want to do or go to nursing school or become a paramedic uh, or any other healthcare uh, specialty, um, if that's what you want to do, regardless of what your financial status is, or regardless of what your academic uh, background is or your family background or your social background, you can do it. There are always ways to do it. Nate, are there any particular resources that you would recommend someone to listen into or look into or read about or organizations to research or venues to attend regarding your career, either as an orthopedic surgeon or as a hand surgeon? Yes, there's a uh, for orthopedic surgery. There's the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, also known as AAOS, mm-hmm. and they have a, a website there uh, where there is a lot of information for uh, people considering uh, careers in orthopedic surgery. Uh, for hand and wrist surgery, there's an organization called the American uh, Society for Surgery of the Hand (ASSH), and they too have a lot of resources for people who are interested in uh, uh, pursuing hand, hand and wrist surgery as a career. Uh, in general, though, I think that uh, what what people should do, uh, what's probably easier, is to talk to people uh, in your healthcare, in the healthcare specialty you're interested in, who are actually doing the job. Uh, and talk to a lot of them, get all of their perspectives, uh, and, uh, and, and then, um, add that to your understanding of what the, what the profession is and what it entails and to get there and what it's like to work in those specialties. That was Dr. Nathan Anoki, a hand surgeon, a good friend, and a medical school classmate of mine. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Anoki, then you can reach him through me. Just reach me through my contact page through my website. That's uh, my website is hcwithdrmarn.com. That's H as in health, C as in careers, W I T H D R M A R N.com. There you can find my email address and also contact me as well. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast that'd be great you just have to hit that subscribe button in your podcast player whether it's on your phone or on your desktop or laptop and please consider sign up to my email list that way i can reach out to you and provide some of the latest updates that come up and latest news that may be relevant to you you can sign up for this email list through the front page the home page of my website um, that's HC with drmarn.com. So, hope to hear from you and thanks for your time. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Marn. 
If you want to find out more about me or about the podcast, please go to healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will tune in again.